podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading from the book of Revelation can be a hard one to understand. So we're going to try to break it down for you easily today. If you've been following along with us in your E100 readings, then this week is indeed where we venture into the book of Revelation. And I'm going to tell you just a little story before we get started with that. And it's kind of a sad story, so bear with me. But on November 18th of 1978, A man by the name of Jim Jones led over 900 people to commit a mass suicide in what is known today as the Jonestown Massacre. Now, this is a picture of Jim Jones, and it should just give you the heebie-jeebies looking at it, because he is a creepy, manipulative cult leader who hurt a lot of people. And Jim Jones actually started off in Protestant Christian churches. When he felt his call into the ministry, he started in a Methodist church. And the leaders of that church quickly realized that his interpretations of the Bible and his teachings were far off from the teachings of Jesus. And he hopped around a few different churches and eventually started his own, known as the People's Temple in California. And convinced almost a thousand followers that they needed to drop their lives, get on a plane, move to this small town in South America. And there he promised that they would live in a euphoria, that they would be able to live at this agricultural compound and they would live in harmony and justice and their way of living would start revolution all across the world. But we know that what Jim Jones told his followers was a lie. And there was a senator, or excuse me, a congressman rather, by the name of Leo Ryan. And he heard that there was abuse and neglect happening in this cult in South America. So he got on a plane with a news crew and they went down there to investigate it. And the end of that visit turned into Jim Jones telling his followers that he needed, they needed to murder not only Congressman Ryan, but also four of the members of that news crew today. And Jim Jones didn't stop there because that sent him over the edge. And then he stood up to his over 900 followers and gave a compelling speech about how that would be the day that in fact, all of their lives needed to end. And so essentially they made these big buckets of Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And he instructed the people to come down and take cups of this Kool-Aid and take sips. And we know that some did it voluntarily and some were forced. But that day over 900 people lost their lives. Now, The title of today's sermon is Don't Drink the Kool-Aid. And if you've ever heard this expression, it means don't drink the Kool-Aid, don't do what everyone else is doing because it's probably not the right thing to do. 
And this story is where that saying comes from. Now, I do want to tell you this. The Methodist Church has a really good system in place to protect against crazy people like this being in leadership, right? Because cults happen because one person gets too much power and authority. And they say that no one is able to question their authority. And that's how cults happen is a single person that everyone just bows down to and never questions what they do. But the Methodist church doesn't do that. So my grandfather was a Methodist minister for 50 years. And I have heard my mom talk about when she was little, he would say, she would say, he's going to this committee meeting or they have a planning committee meeting for this or that and the other. And I didn't realize how many committees there were in the Methodist church until I started working in one about a year ago and I needed to do something. And someone was like, oh, you have a parent committee. You should call on them. And I was like, great, I'm going to call a meeting with them. And then we have an event, the weekend of the cross, right? Which by the way is happening this year. So I hope all of you go online and sign up to be a volunteer for weekend of the cross. Okay. It's the last weekend in July, sign up to be an adult volunteer. And we got to plan that. So we got the weekend of the cross committee, right? And then I need to send flowers to someone and well, we got a flower committee for that. And I need to change some things in the youth area. You better call the interior design committee. I need to add some butter to the breakfast casserole. Got to call that casserole committee. We got one. Okay. We got committees for everything in this church. And I say that jokingly, right? But, but there's a reason that that's in place. Because the church is not for me to make all the decisions and plan all the things. It's not for Pastor Chris or Pastor Doug to do all the ministry. The church is not the staff of the church. The church is y'all. The church is when you join to be a part of that committee and you help make decisions about things and plan things. The church is when you come up here and set a coffee meeting with me or Pastor Doug or Pastor Chris to talk through that ministry idea that you've had on your heart that you want to make happen. The church is when you come up here and you serve in the kids department or you come up here and you serve on Wednesday night and be a small group leader for me, right? You are the church. And it's not just coming and sitting for one hour on a Sunday morning. It's not just coming to church. It's being the church. So I'll go ahead and make my shameless plug right here for the youth department, because I need all of you as volunteers. I need small group leaders. I need someone that's going to commit to come up here on Wednesdays and teach the next generation what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. And let me, I just, let me tell y'all an excuse that I don't know, I don't know if I can hear it anymore. Youth, it used to be just youth that said this, but now I've heard adults started to say this. And so, for example, kids would come in after school and come to church and I'd be like, hey, you know, how was your day? And they're like, oh, I just had so many tests and sports and this. And they'd be like, I'm just like so dead from today. That's what everyone would say. I'm just so dead from today, right? And I'm like, are you? 
You're just so dead from today, really. And so it used to be a common thing. The youth started saying it. And then I heard adults started saying it. So they're like, Haley, I really can't do, I'll serve in some other way, but I can't do small group because at the end of my work day, my job is just so demanding that I just come home and I'm just like so dead from the day. And if I hear, I'm just like so dead from today, one more time, I'm going to go crazy because y'all, Jesus is the only one allowed to make that excuse. I want you to picture this. Jesus, three days in the grave, okay? He's rising on that third day. He goes around and he's talking to people. He's showing them the scars on their hands and feet. Imagine if someone was like, hey, Jesus, how you feeling? And he's like, I'm just like so dead from today. He was literally dead that day, y'all. Jesus was literally dead that day. And he was getting up out of the grave. I'm sure he was a little groggy too, okay? But you know what he would have done? He would have gone to Sonic, got himself a caffeinated drink, brought youth leader Haley one too, and then came up here on a Wednesday night and led small group, okay? that's If Jesus were here, he would come led small group. Drink a Mountain Dew, come here. You're, you're fine, okay? So no more of this like, oh, I'm just so so tired. And I know, I know your lives are demanding. I really do. And that's why we have a team and we come together as do it. But that, but that's my plug. That's my plug that I need you. This church needs you. We need you to serve on that committee. We need you to come up here and volunteer. So everyone's going to take down my email address. So get out your whatever you write it down. Go ahead. Haley, H-A-L-E-Y. Why aren't more people writing this down? You're going to email me. And tell me you want to be a small group leader. H-A-L-E-Y, Haley K at trinityrustin.org. Okay? So I could end there, but I'll keep going. I'm going to teach us a little bit more about the book of Revelation. So it's not about just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's about being the church. And that's one aspect that some of these famous cults, did not have. They did not have their congregation or their people helping lead and do ministry. And we don't just want to sit back and drink the Kool-Aid that the rest of the world is drinking, right? And that's my first point to seniors, that if your life looks like everyone else in the world, if your time and your schedule is pretty much just spent like the rest of the kids on your college campus, then you might just be drinking the Kool-Aid that everyone else is drinking. As Jesus followers, we should prioritize things like time with the Lord and serving our church and serving our community and doing mission work. We should prioritize giving part of our money back to the Lord. And if all of those things align with the rest of the world, that's not who God calls us to be. The scriptures say, God tells us to be holy for I am holy and you are supposed to be a holy set apart people. So don't drink the Kool-Aid. And the second reason that I tell you that story is because one of Jim Jones' favorite books to preach from was 
the book of Revelation, which is where we're talking in today. And actually, this is true of many cult leaders. David Koresh was extremely knowledgeable about the Bible. He pretty much had the whole book of Revelation memorized. Um, The other crazy one is Charles Manson. I don't know if y'all remember this cult, but he was the one that thought that the Beatles were speaking to him through a song and he took this Beatles song and some scripture and revelation and weaved them together and then he sent his followers to go kill all those people in Hollywood. And in these leaders that are just crazy, they take this book and they manipulate it to say something that benefits themselves. So why, the question is why? Why do these people use the book of Revelation in this way? And really, the answers are kind of simple. It's just really hard to understand. If you've ever read through the book of Revelation, it's it's got these like this mythical language and it can be hard to understand. And so that's why people can manipulate it and make you think that it means something that it doesn't. So I'm going to give you a few truths so that I do my best to teach you responsibly about the book of Revelation. Okay, I'm going to try to stick to what it says within the whole scope of the Bible. But at the end, if the Beatles start playing or something weird starts happening, just take me off the stage because I've like gone off my rocker. So don't let me do that. But I'm going to try my best to teach Revelation responsibly. So a few truths that will help us understand Revelation better. One is it is just one revelation. Most people say the book of Revelations, it's just one. The author, John, had one vision from God. God opened his eyes to have a revelation and it's one big scope from beginning to end. Point number two is y'all, it is not a secret code to the end of the world. Okay. I had someone come in this week and they were like, I heard you were preaching on revelation. You're going to give us the time and the place of the rapture, right? You're going to do that. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm just going to give you when it is. And then the pastors told me, they were like, just tell them the rapture's coming in about 30 minutes and then give an altar call. And then you'll just get everyone saved. I was like, thanks. (laughs) Good advice from the pastors. But no, it's, that's obviously not what the book is about. So anyone that says I've decoded it, these symbols and this, means this and the day and the day the Lord's coming is X, Y, and Z. That's just not true. The book is just how we described it. It's a revelation. It's a vision that is full of symbols and the author wrote it to the church. So it's a symbolic vision written to the church. It's not a secret code. Okay. Now the reason that we think that the book of Revelation is about some end times is really just because that's what culture and media has kind of taught us that it meant. So some words that you think of when you think of the book of Revelation is like Mark of the Beast, 666, Armageddon, Apocalypse. Does anyone think of these words when they think of Revelation? Yeah. So, and the reason that we think that is because For example, there'll be a president elected and someone's like, oh, this could be it. This president's the Antichrist or the COVID vaccine came out. And they were like, don't take the vaccine. It's the mark of the beast, right? And so the news kind of says these things and that's what we associate with the book of Revelation. But the truth is, is that these concepts, especially rapture and Antichrist, those two words are not used one time in the book of Revelation, not once. 
And I'll give a short explanation of where that antichrist comes from, the concept of that. In the Jewish scriptures, the most famous and most prayed verse, it's called the Shema. It's the first verse that we covered with the youth when I moved here. And that prayer is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. And it says this, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And that scripture goes on to say that you should live by these words and bind them as a symbol to your hands and the frontlets of your eyes. So you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, and you should live by them as a sign on your hands and forehead. And it's not saying that we need to get those words tattooed on our hands and forehead. It's a symbol saying that what we do with our hands, the actions that we take with our hands should be marked by the way we love God. And the things that we think should be marked by our love for God. So the things that we do and the things that we think should just be covered in our love for God. And so in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it starts to talk about this mark of the beast. And what it's saying is that those who follow the beast, and it talks kind of crazy, the seven heads and ten horns and all of this stuff. But if you get a good study Bible, actually, the asterisks at the bottom will kind of tell you what it means. And the first beast represents military power, and the second beast represents economic power. So what it's saying is that those who follow the beast... Those who believe in the military or put their hope in money or economic power or put their faith in politics, that those who start to follow those world beliefs, it says all of them, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, when they follow the beast, they are marked on the right hand and on the forehead. So this, this mark of the beast, what it's saying is that those who follow the world, instead of having their thoughts and their actions, um, I guess, shown through God's love, that their thoughts and their actions follow the world. They follow the beast. And then that mark is not necessarily some vaccine or micro trip or whatever, but it's that our thoughts and our actions follow the world. They follow the beast and they don't look like Christ's love. So my point number two to the seniors is that you should be asking yourself regularly, do my thoughts and my actions look like Christ? Do they look like Christ's love or do they look like the rest of the world? When you lay down at night, you should ask yourself today, did my thoughts and my actions, did they look like God's love or did they look like the thoughts of my fraternity or sorority? Did they look like God's love or did they pretty much just look like the rest of my friends today? Did my thoughts and my actions look like Christ? Or did they look like the rest of the world? So, 
You may say, all right, Haley, it's not about the rapture. It's not about the antichrist. I'm going to try to make my thoughts and my actions look like God's love. But what then is the book of Revelation actually about? And here it is. So since rapture and antichrist are not actually found in the scriptures, here are a few words that are. One, God is found 98 times in the book of Revelation. Throne is seen 46 times in the book of Revelation. Lamb, 28 times. Overcome, 17 times. And behold is said over 30 times in the book of Revelation. Now, when we see the word behold, it's because we should stop at that word and get ready to behold. We behold the presence of God. We stand in awe of who he is. And in the book of Revelation, it says we should behold our coming king. So the book of Revelation and really the whole storyline of the Bible, it's not about the Antichrist, y'all. It's about Christ. It's about Christ and how we follow him into the new creation, that we don't drink the Kool-Aid. We don't live our lives in a way the rest of the world is living. That our thoughts and our actions are covered in Christ's love. And you might say, okay, well, I'll try to do all those things. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, Haley, we still live in a fallen world. And we still have to experience suffering and evil. And to that, I would say, you're correct. We do. We live in a world where even Jesus' followers have to suffer loss and pain, persecution, But it's not just about sitting and waiting for God to bring about the new creation. You see, what Paul tells us is that we don't just sit around and try to do kind of good and then wait for God to bring new creation. What Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is the new creation. It's not about waiting for the new creation to come. It's about being the new creation, right? When we, when we pray our dear father, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that you are on earth as it is in heaven. If you have the spirit of Christ living inside of you, you are that little piece of heaven here on earth. And it's not about doing good to get to heaven. It's about bringing heaven here on earth through your actions, through your thoughts, through the way that you serve your church and your community, you are the heaven on earth. So the last point is that it's not about doing good to get to heaven, but it's about bringing heaven to earth. And seniors, before you make any major decision in your life, you should ask, will this bring heaven to earth? If I take this job, will I be able to spread the kingdom of heaven in that job and my sphere of influence? Before I participate in this activity, will I be able to bring a little piece of heaven here on earth? 
Before I do that sporting event or participate in this with my family, will I be able to bring heaven? Will I be able to pray over those kids and guide those kids in that sporting event well? Or is it going to lead me to just competitive evilness, right? Uh, Room for the enemy to do a little work. Everything that we should do, we should be doing with the goal of bringing heaven to earth. So I'm going to go ahead and have the band come back out and we're going to actually sing a new song to finish up today. And I'm going to read this passage that Cooper read at the beginning. I'm just going to read it for us again. And I want you to think, how is God calling me to not just go to church, but to be the church? How is God calling me to not just wait around for him to usher in new creation, but to be the new creation? And how is he calling me to be a little piece of heaven here on earth? And if you are going through a hard time, maybe you are experiencing some of that suffering that we have here on earth. We do what we can to bring about new creation And one day, I just want you to listen to what the scriptures say will come to fruition in full. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven was no more and the first earth had passed away and a holy city, a new Jerusalem was coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Here it is. Behold, This is where we take in the goodness of God. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. God is making all things new. So let's get ready to stand and praise God for not only making us the new creation, but one day bringing it fully. And let's behold our King. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.